From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Congo Christmas. Daylight Jessum is next on the Gridley Wave Network. From the Chicago Bureau of the Boston Man Blade. Dateline Jessum. A Panthan Press production. For fans of Edgar Rice Burroughs and Pulp Adventure, here's your host, Elmo. Welcome to show number 47. Joining me today is Alex Simmons, who is uh, who had been a writer on the uh, Tarzan Sunday comic strip from early 2001 through about mid-2002, was it? Yeah, that's not right. That's just not right. Okay. Well, why don't you tell me... Uh, First, tell me a little bit about your background, uh, and we can talk uh, about that a little bit more later, but uh, tell me about uh, your background and how you came to the Tarzan Sunday Strip. <laughs> well, Jeff, let's see. Uh, my background, I was born and raised in New York City, which is where I still reside, although I sort of move around a lot. Um, I would say that probably, you know, like many people from my, my peer group, I grew up watching a lot of movies and uh, reading comics and reading books and so forth. And I have to say that among the iconic fictional characters that uh, I was exposed to and I sort of was attracted to in my youth, you know, Tarzan was one of them. So, honestly, I, this was Superman, the Lone Ranger, Tarzan, Zorro, Batman, that sort of thing. And so as I, as I grew up, I went into a number of things. I was a performer for a number of years. I actually still do voiceovers and things like that from time to time. And when my life began to sort of take that turn where I started writing more than performing, uh, one of the things I wrote was a Sherlock Holmes play, which got produced, and I've written some songs that were produced. And then I started writing children's books and uh, mystery novels and things like that for young adults. And... At a certain point, one of the story ideas that I came up with for an adventure series was, it came to me sort of as a comic book project, and that, that character was called Blackjack. It's a okay. series about an African-American soldier of fortune. So I created the character, I pitched it to DC at the time, this was back in, oh, mid-80s. I pitched it to D.C. Uh, um, Dick Giordano, who was one of the VPs and editors there at the time, was interested. There was some possibility of them doing it, and then sort of the, the editorial staff changed, and they went in a different direction. So Blackjack sort of went on the shelf for a while. I continued to do other types of fictional writing for mainstream publishing and for, again, children, young adults, plays, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then... In the 90s, mid-90s, I decided to self-publish Blackjack. And in doing that, I got the first two issues out. It started to get some really nice response, and not only from a fan base point of view, but I started to get some really good reviews. And towards the end of the 90s, uh, an editor from United Feature Syndication came to a convention. I think it was a San Diego convention. 
Uh, her name was uh, Amy Lago. And okay. she was the senior editor, if I remember this correctly, that was exactly her title. She's a senior editor at United Features Syndication. Now, United Features, uh, they distribute um, Dilbert, Marmaduke, Peanuts, okay. um, a number of other well-known comic strips. And one of the ones that they had was Tarzan. Hmm. And, and Amy, uh, enjoying the work I was doing with Blackjack, asked me if I'd be interested in doing Tarzan. And, you know, I have to say, first off, you know, it's the same thing as um, uh, possibly a person would react if they had a chance to do a film with, it, with an actor that they've always admired or something like that. Right. It, this was an interesting mm -hmm. challenge for me because, I, again, I'd grown up reading. I'd read some of the books. I'd seen all of the early movies, even the silent movies. I'd seen them, not, not as what I would call an avid fan, but because out of curiosity or opportunity, right. I'd seen a number of them. And, of course, I'd seen the TV series with Ron Ely, and I think I was back in the 70s, and there's sure. all these other variations. So I'm thinking, you know, this would be kind of cool to write this iconic character, to be able to do something with it from my own point of view and, and bring something to the, to the Chronicle. At the same time, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure, well, okay, yeah, I'd love to do it, and I don't have any idea what I want to do with it. Right. So I, I think... Uh, yeah, go ahead. If no, Alex, if we can just insert in here for people who don't know, and one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is that you are African American. So I'm I'm extremely interested in 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 how that that plays in into the thought of of you writing Tarzan when when the first the idea was first broached to you. Well, I, I guess I should say yeah, you're right. No, uh, since people can't see me, yes, that yeah. that may or may not be uh, obvious to them. I would have to say the first and foremost in my career, I mean, my growing up years as, as a child, a teenager, and so forth, my thinking process, I mean, I grew up during the 60s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's the, the civil rights movement. There was a lot of change, social change, social consciousness going on. And the, the strongest influence in my life uh, at that time was my mother. And, mm -hmm. and she did not raise me to value or to diminish a person's value based on their race, racial um, heritage or background or whatever. Sure. Uh, the idea was if, if we didn't feel a prejudice was valid, you know, certainly towards us, then we shouldn't dole it out to anyone else. And so that was in my head. She also instilled in me the belief that, you know, yes, you're going to run into certain obstacles and hurdles in life, certainly some of them being racial, but you shouldn't let that stop you. And so my vision of where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do was always rather broad. So mm -hmm. having said all that, when I received an opportunity to work on Tarzan, most assuredly part of me was looking at the way the character had been handled uh, in the early days versus how it was being handled at that time. There right. were a lot of those thoughts in my head, but at the same time I was saying, well, for whatever negative things may have been done, and there were some positive things, but whatever negative sure. things, whatever issues there were, here's my opportunity to portray a, this character in a story that I, as a writer, first and foremost, secondly, as the person that I am, and third, as the person of color that I am, mm -hmm. would be able to stand proud next to. Mm -hmm. You know, that I wouldn't feel that I had belittled my people or myself. Exactly. And, right. It was, it was, that was a part of the intriguing aspect. And, and again, the question was, well, what story are you going to do? 
And that was that was really for me more the challenge than anything else. Okay, here's here's how I'm thinking about this, but what am I going to do with it? Right. And, and so that came into play. I should also mention that first very first story I did was a short one. It was I think it was maybe only six weeks or eight weeks, and this is a Sunday, so we were talking about eight, six to eight installments. And Gray Morrow, a uh, very well-known comic book yeah. artist, uh, yeah. was still on the strip. He'd been on it for years. He was still on the strip at that time. And so there was going to be a transition. They were going to go with an, a new artist after this first storyline. So I, I thought, well, here's a great chance to work with Gray. I never got to meet him, <laughs> but okay. I got to write something that he was going to draw. But they, they didn't want it to take kind of a very large... Uh, story turn. They didn't really want it to become a very involved piece. Right. So I, I thought about it for a while, and I came up with something very simple. Um, you know, I know that, that Tarzan is this, you know, heroic figure to a lot of people who read the series, but you also think of him in terms of the land that he's in. Kids see someone who's strong, someone who's got a reputation for being fair and, and, and powerful and, and just and yada, yada, yada. And they, you know, this is somebody that they want to, you know, they want to know or they want to maybe live up to, they want to be like when they get older, that sort of thing. And at the same time, I know from some of my travels in Africa that there are still in, in the um, in Serengeti, in the, in the outer regions, there are still sort of, shall we say, challenges that young boys go through in order to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and we do that here too. I mean, there's, there's a rite of passage in any culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on what, where you are, what that, those challenges might be. So I did a story where there were these three boys who thought, you know, to prove that we're men, and they're boys, they're like maybe, you know, 12 years old, to prove okay. that we're men, we're, we're warriors, all right, we're going to capture Tarzan. Okay. You know, we're going to come up with these traps, and we're going we're gonna to capture him, and that's going to prove to our parents that, that we're ready, that we're ready. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, of course, it doesn't quite work out the way they <laughs> yeah. want, right? But to me, that was a fun way to sort of... You know, approach the strip to let these these children be children within their culture, um, to have Tarzan be a pivotal part of the story, but not necessarily the absolute star of that moment. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was a, a slightly different approach to the series, you know, in terms of the things I had seen done in the series at that point. Yeah. So that was fun. After that, uh, Eric Battle, who's a comic book artist that I had known for a few years, uh, I'd never worked with, uh, he was brought on board to draw the series. And so we decided, okay, now we have a chance to do an adventurous tale. And again, I wanted to do something uh, a little different, but now I really wanted Tarzan to be uh, really involved and really caught up in this. And so we came up with, we were looking at, well, what, what would be something that would keep him active, keep him moving, keep it busy, but bring in a number of other characters for him to play off of. And we sort of had a meeting of Survivor meets Tarzan. Okay. And we had a Survivor type TV series crew and cast out there filming. They had these people who didn't know what the heck they were doing, doing these challenges, and certain dangers popped up, and Tarzan found himself protecting them, especially when it turns out that someone's rigging some of the tests and people could get killed. And so it sort of escalates from there. And so that one was fun. It was a good way for me to play with the character and start to get a sense of how I wanted to work with him. 
And then the last thing I'll say about this, because I, I feel like I'm rolling here without yeah. giving you any chances. No, see. that's that's fine. This is this is fine. Keep going. Okay. Well, then the last thing was um, Amy again, the the editor I was working with, Amy Lago, had said to me uh, and Eric at lunch at one point, we were discussing storylines and things. She said, "You know, down the line, as you're working on the series, you know, do you think there's any opportunity where Tarzan could meet your character, Blackjack?" Oh wow. Okay. And I thought, oh man, now that would be wild. For and for people who don't for people who don't know, describe Blackjack and and what is his character? You mentioned he's 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 sort of a mercenary type. Yeah, I, I guess um, when when we use the word mercenary in contemporary times now, it tends to be associated with um, pretty much a brutal soldier who goes yeah. and, and invades other countries and so forth. I like to use the term soldier of fortune because. For the era that he's in, and I'll, I'll sort of run that down in a moment, for the era he's in, it, it offers up, yes, there's mercenary aspects to it, but it offers up more of an adventurer mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, Blackjack, or his, his his actual name is Aaron Day, is an African-American soldier of fortune in the 1930s. Okay. So you have that Indiana Jones flair, sense of high adventure, traveling the globe, but it's a black man in the mm-hmm. 1930s. And obviously how he sees the world and how the world deals with him are very different than how they deal with Dr. Jones. Yeah. So he, he's, um, his father was a soldier of fortune before him. And uh, for those who may or may not know this, in the early 1900s in World War I, a number of African-American men uh, joined the military and went over to Europe with the idea that, okay, you know, now we're soldiers, we're men, we're going to fight in this war and will be respected and so forth. And a lot of them, as later, unfortunately, in World War II also, were pretty much treated as second, third, and fourth class citizens. They were digging latrines and things like that, and they're not really being given an opportunity to, to, to prove themselves as capable as the white soldiers. Mm-hmm. So a number of battles did occur where that was not the case, where, where black men were able to step forth prove themselves not only to the American military, but in particular to the French armies and so forth that they were involved with. And when the war was over, a number of these men did not return to the U.S. They felt, you know, now I felt like, I felt freedom. I felt what it must be like to be a man, respected as a man, and, and being given my chance to prove myself in the world, and so they didn't want to come back here. So they continued in that sort of life as soldiers of fortune or mercenaries and so forth. And so Aaron Day's father is somewhat in that vein, is fashioned after that sort of mindset. That's what he did. But he was very much a man who, you know, you pay me, I do what I have to do. I don't think about it. Aaron, because his mother and his sister would travel with his father from time to time, and they'd stay in a village or a city or a camp or somewhere away from the battle, the mother would spend time introducing her children to the culture they were in and trying to learn what they could about this place. And so they grew up with a little bit broader sense of the world. So that when Aaron finally does try to be like his dad, you know, because he's a brave man, you know, when Aaron steps out to do this, well, yeah, he becomes successful at it. He's very good at what he does, but he also understands there's definitely a right and a wrong. There's definitely things within this world of of battling or, or, or doing somebody else's fighting for them. There, there are things that I don't want to do. There are things I'm not comfortable with. There are things I've done that I now regret. And I have to start deciding where my father ends and where I begin. 
And so with that in mind, a lot of the adventures that I took him on were also explorations of self. He, he, he had to find out who he was and how he fit into the picture and, and whether or not he carried some of his father's strengths as well as weaknesses. So for, for uh, I think the series had only, I'd had about three, I had, the first story had been out, uh, Aaron Day, it was uh, Blackjack, Second Bite of the Cobra. That was the first miniseries. Mm-hmm. And that was a three-issue miniseries. That had already come out, and we got great reviews on that. And the second story was just starting to be published, and that's when uh, Amy Lago, you know, made the suggestion. So I was extremely, you know, excited and thrilled about it. I was also pretty amazed because this is not like you're saying, oh, the Black Panther meets in where you've got to have been established, right, for, for like 10, 15 years. This is a character that had probably only been around in the public eye for like two years or, or, or three years at this point. So it was, it was pretty exciting for me. And um, there was, you know, the whole thing of making sure that if I did do this uh, and they accept the, the storyline I wanted to do, that it was clear that as, as well as the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate protected their copyright of Tarzan, right. I intended to do the same for my character sure. as that guy. So, so to, g- given, given that background that, that you've outlined for us for Blackjack, what, uh, what does he make of Tarzan when, when he, uh, when he well, meets him? There was, an, there was another one of those challenges, because aside from the fact that, uh, yes, you've got two very strong heroes, one that's extremely well-established in, in the, the global eye, and one is a brand-new sort of new kid on the block. Aside from that, they're in two different time zones, two different mm-hmm. eras. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the challenge, too, of finding a way to have them meet and yet not do a sci-fi story. Right. And so what I fi- when I finally, and it was, it was a about it, it was almost uh, eight months before I came up with a story that I thought might work, and I pitched it to Amy, and she went for it. And I was just about to start writing it when 9/11 hit. Okay. And the story, an aspect of the storyline, was close to a type of a, a terrorist group thinking. And and I was I remember being sort of concerned about whether or not I should do this now. I mean it was it was literally a month after nine eleven and I'm talking to Amy and I'm saying, Look, you know, I'd like to do this, uh at the same time I don't know if you guys are gonna want to publish it. It's not it's not a nine eleven plot per se. Right. But there's a terrorist aspect to just it. Using, it's, use, just using a terrorist plot yeah, uh, yeah, that, that yeah. close to 9 11. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, and, and for those who, who do remember, you know, everything was very sensitive right around that time. So Amy and I talked about it, and she said, no, let's do it. You know, go for it. You know, the, in particular, what has happened has happened, and we can't, we can't live in fear of that. We have to go on with our lives and do what we do. And, you know, another thought is, you know, certainly at a time like that, we need heroes. So, yeah, so we, yeah. we step forward with it. And, and the basic plot involved Tarzan coming, and, and contemporary Tarzan, so that would have been 2001, Tarzan mm-hmm. coming on a medical field setup, uh, hospital setup in the middle of the jungle. Uh, he's been called there by the, the district police because a number of the, the inhabitants of that region are coming up sick, and some of them are dying. And further out into the wilds, some of the animals are being found uh, either sick or dying. And they don't know what's going on. And so Tarzan goes out into the area to investigate, and 
comes upon uh, a cave, and in the process of exploring that cave, there is a, a landslide in a cave-in, and he falls into this secret cavern below this cave, and he's knocked unconscious. And when he comes to and exit, he's in the middle of a firefight between these three what looks like uh, hunters who are obviously scared of something and this black man. Mm-hmm. And the black man is taking them out. He's, he's whittling them down. And Tarzan, not quite sure what's going on, tries to interrupt the fight. And that's when he and Blackjack meet for the first time. And in, in the middle of this battle between them, it becomes clear, wait a minute, all is not what it appears to be. We need to take a moment to size this up. Mm-hmm. And they do. So there's a, there's a halt in the battle. I won't say what causes that, but there's a halt in the battle. Tarzan realizes Blackjack is not necessarily a bad guy, although he doesn't know what he's about. And the plot, if you will, is, is, is sort of unveiled. I don't want to give too much away, but the yeah. plot is unveiled. And they realize that they need to work together because the threat that Aaron has been tracking and Tarzan has now fallen into the middle of is, is so great that the entire region that they're in is, is in danger and possibly the world. So they go after this thing, and, and it, it turns out that the thing that they deal with turns out in the end of the story to be the very thing that's now poisoning the animals in Tarzan's time. Hmm. So, so there's, a, there's a some form of a time travel, but like I said, I don't want to give away the whole thing, yeah. but they wind up working together, and I really enjoyed working on the story. Um, uh, Eric Battle, some wonderful art. Uh, there was a colorist working at United Features at that time, did some great work with that. And I felt very proud of the two stories that Eric and I did for them. And yeah. would, would have loved to have continued, but at, that, at the end of that strip, uh, United Features had decided that, um, because there were a lot of newspapers that weren't carrying the strip anymore, or for that matter, a lot of newspapers weren't carrying adventure strips, period. Right, adventure, adventure strips have, have kind of... Uh, waned uh, yeah. in, in newspapers. Died on the side, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, at I mean, tar- I'm sure you're aware or familiar uh, that that the Tarzan strip itself has quite a long history uh, with with names like Hal Foster and and Bernard oh, yeah. Garth attached oh, to yes. it. Certainly, absolutely. And and uh, Gil Kane and and some of the writers on there are people you know that you've heard of and and had the the good fortune of meeting a few of them in my life. And so, yeah, oh, this is a really long list of talent has been associated with that strip, which is why, again, I was quite excited and honored to be given the opportunity to, to join those ranks. Right. And, and it was, it was, you know, it was a good run. I mean, lo- like I said, I loved, would have loved to have done more. Eric and I had already worked out, a plot for the third one, which would have really brought the relationship between Tarzan and Jane more to the front and given Jane a little bit more muscle in terms of the, you know, substantial place in the storyline. But, you know, say levy. Yeah, yeah. And um, not to keep going back to this, but of course, uh, Eric Battle is also African-American, so you mm-hmm. had, uh, had two African-Americans working on uh, the Tarzan strip. And, and the reason I wanted to bring it up a, a little bit is because I think Tarzan, to some extent, unfairly, uh, maybe gets labeled as as uh, to to some extent 
racist or, or the idea of a, a white man sort of uh, um, being the king of, of the African jungle is is to some extent uh, seen, I don't know, as... as Condescending? Yeah, condescending, yeah. that's a good word, I, I yeah. guess. I, I mean, it, and again, I, I think to some extent it's it's unfair criticism, but I'm just interested in, in what your take on those criticisms are. Well, I have, I have to say that um, it would be impossible for me as a person of color, as a, as a black man or a man who's, who's descendant from those who came from Africa, not to see the negative aspects as easily as, as those who would not have wanted to touch the strip to begin with. Yeah. Um, it is, you have to understand that when it was created, I mean, how the, I mean, we're talking early 1900s, right. how the world saw Africa and people from Africa, you know, we were closer even then, the mindset and social mindset then was even closer to the, the, the thought process that, that people from that continent were backwards, incapable of this, that, and so were buffoons and so forth. There was no positive imagery of black people. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have... Either, either as comedians or, or heroes or, or action figures, you did not have any of that. So what you had was usually some sort of derogatory representation. We had big lips. Right. Uh, we, were, we were normally ignorant. Uh, we, we seemed to be savages and attacked with, with no provocation. Uh, we, we didn't know anything of, of science and so forth and so on. And certainly we had no, edu- no, no education that the, the Western world would recognize as valid. Mm-hmm. And our history, you know, Timbuktu and all of that, was completely unknown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it was totally. So the only images that white America or Europe or, or even people of other nations and, and countries like Asia and so forth would have would be those printed images, those derogatory images. So along comes now, and here, here's the beauty, the story is in effect, uh, Robinson Crusoe or anything else where a lone figure grows up in an extraordinary circumstance and winds up not either making the best of or mastering that circumstance. And that in and of itself is not derogatory. That's the central theme of Tarzan. Right. To, to me, Tarzan has always been uh, the idea of, of is, is civilized man versus uh, a primitive savage man. And, and that's that's the story. Africa just happens to be the backdrop for the story, right. I guess. But again, as, again, when you take it in context with the time period and how the characters were portrayed and that there were no counters to the buffoonery or savage imagery, then you understand that why it could be considered derogatory and inflammatory or, or just racist or so forth. As you come forward through time and you look at where we are now and you take the mindset of a lot more people, and it's not to say that racism doesn't exist anymore, we know it does, but it's different now. And, you know, even within my lifetime, when I was born, blacks were still riding the backs of buses in in Alabama. We we couldn't eat at certain lunch counters. We had our own separate, not by choice, bathrooms. Mm, You know, so it was, you know, when people say to me, Oh, nothing's changed. I'm thinking, in my lifetime, a whole lot has changed. I don't know where you're from, but you know, when you have to take things. There's, there's a lot more to do, but but it has come uh, quite right. far. So for for the Tarzan imagery again, you know, Johnny Weissmuller movies. If you saw those, you saw the others. You know, again, 
there was there was that whole thing of that the, the the natives had nothing going for them, and here was this white man who was lording over them, and they feared him, and so forth and so on. And there was no if if they had done any kind of backstory mm-hmm. to explain how certain natives felt about him, or you know positive yeah. or negative, if they built any of it, but they never did. We were we were sort of. Um, uh, well, Alex, Alex, let me just ask you one thing because you did you did mention you had read some of the the Burroughs books grow, growing mm-hmm. up, and mm-hmm. and one thing I wonder, uh, Burroughs did create uh, the Waziri, who I, mm-hmm. I wonder if you're familiar with. Yeah. Who yeah. Th- there was uh, there was given the time that it was written, there was a little bit of paternalism going on there, but but I wonder if some people uh, maybe should give Burroughs credit for creating a noble warrior race uh, of of Africans uh, who I tend to think of as similar to the Maasai today. Well, and... let, me, let me ask you this. How many people on the face of the earth do you think are exposed to Tarzan via the Burroughs books and stories versus the films? That's the problem, I think. I mean, okay. I, I think when, when we hear the criticism of Tarzan, they're thinking of, you know, uh, Johnny Weissmiller trampling native cannibal villages with elephants. Right, and, exactly, and, and, exactly, and, and rhinos and anything else he could set yeah. loose on them. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're thinking Ramar of the Jungle, and you're thinking, you know, any of these other things that, again, reflect, I mean, embarrassment for me would be 1950s movies where half the time the natives were Hispanic. Or yeah. looked it because yeah. suddenly Africa was in South America. I don't know. That's not the geography I learned. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. quite the way I remember it. And I mean, there was one movie. I have no idea why they did it, but there was a Tarzan in India with uh, Jacques Mahoney. Yeah, and I yeah. know that they didn't shoot some of that in Africa at that time because there was, you know, the the, the actors, black actors, were starting to go, "Nah, I ain't doing this. They ain't, so, ain't doing that anymore." Right? Yeah, you know. So there's there's. A lot of the social, you can't separate society from the product. You can only look at all aspects and determine where you're going to stand with it. Uh, Again, Tarzan now, the way he's being dealt with now, uh, very different, Mm -hmm. right? Different mindset. What Burroughs did was absolutely unique Mm -hmm. in his time frame. All right. If you know Will Eisner, he, who drew, wrote and drew the script. Uh, he had a black character named Ebony, which looked stereotypical, but he did, more often than not, non-stereotypical storylines with Ebony. Mm-hmm. So it's a thing of like, okay, you live within this time, you're going to do what you can with what you have. What your motivations are, I don't know. Uh, I didn't know Burroughs. I can only hope that what he did was his homework and mm-hmm. decided, you know, this is what I want to portray, this is what I've learned, uh, and this is what you should see, and this mm-hmm. is what would make my stories better. And mm-hmm. then what people did was they, you know, they did their own variations on that as they started to do films and whatever else. I think uh, Burroughs was very honest that he wasn't trying to be realistic to any extent uh, about what he was writing about. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, but uh, I'm... <clears throat> Have you ever get gotten any flack from other African American writers or artists uh, for for taking on Tarzan? Me personally, no flack. I mean, no one yeah. came at me and called me this, that, and the other. They've done that yeah. for other reasons, but not not on the Tarzan <laughs> thing. But uh, certainly questions, lots of questions yeah. from black and white uh, as to how could you do this, 
And I said the same way I could write about a teenage um, uh, detective who's a girl, which yeah. I've done. I've yeah. never been a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> you uh -huh. know? And I can put myself into the head of a character who has certain traits, and I can do my research and talk to people who have had certain life experiences similar. But ultimately, I, as a writer, my job is to create a reality that, you know, fictional or otherwise, that my readers can get into and enjoy. Um, I think that as a person, my commitment, my personal commitment, is to not only tell a good story, but to tell a more honest story, to portray my people and to portray all people of color in a more honest vein, but still within the type of adventures and eras and things that I've enjoyed. Uh, Blackjack is in the 30s because... You know, I knew that people of color were doing important things in the 30s. But when I looked at the movies and I looked at a lot of other things, we were porters or we were we ran laundries or we were butlers, and that was about it. Yeah. You know, the Charlie Chan in the movies was never portrayed by a Chinese actor. You know, mm -hmm. so these were things that I said I can affect when I do stories in that era. Mm -hmm. I can affect the stereotypes and the, the negative portrayals of these characters, the unfair portrayals of these characters, by being more honest about how life was, why things were the way they were, and, and yet still have a good time with that era. And that's what I sought to do personally as, uh, again, uh, a black man or a black writer. Um, others might not have done the projects. Others might have had a more nationalistic or stronger um, uh, stance against what they read that's yeah. their call this was mine um, maybe that leads in a little bit of something I wanted you to talk about uh, you are curating uh, an exhibit coming up uh, at Bronx Community College that's the correct. color the color of comics tell me what right. that's going to be about and and when it is and, and sort of what the, the idea behind that is well okay the color of comics is an exhibition of artwork uh, from the comic industry, comic and comic strip industry, uh, of people of color. And again, when I say people of color, I don't use that term to simply mean blacks, but to me, it's anyone who is not considered, I guess, uh, Western Caucasian, you know, so it's Hispanics, it's, it's African Americans, it's Africans, it's Brazilians, it's anybody who's of a, a darker hue than what is perceived as a, the white uh, race or Caucasian race. And the reason I want to do this is because, again, I've, I've had the, the benefit of watching some change in media, uh, whether it's comics or television or whatever, during my lifetime. And it, it disturbs me that, yes, there's still more work to be done. Even you said this for a while ago. But it disturbs me that people, some people find it so easy to ignore what has been accomplished. It disturbs me that some of the good stuff that's been done out there, people don't see. They don't hear about. Maybe it's been done by an independent or whatever, but they don't realize it's already out there. And by not seeing us reflected in the work, we don't realize we are a part of this. We realize a lot of the kids that I work with, uh, I do a lot of work with, with children in schools and special programs, they don't think that they can aspire to do any of this because they don't see themselves there. And mm -hmm. so part of what I'm trying to do by showing, yes, there are Chinese characters and black characters and Native American characters and so on, and look at them, look at the beauty, look at the work, whether it's been done by somebody of color or not, it's not uh, a prerequisite, it's not the criteria. But look mm -hmm. at these images. You are there. 
you want more, that's fantastic. Come and create it. But definitely it's there. Let's support that and let's, let's you know, move forward from that positive place. So this exhibit is to show what has been done over the years, going back as far as we can. We just um, offered some images for, uh, of Will Eisner's work. So again, what I mentioned earlier about the spirit and ebony, we're going to have some work there. And that's going to be you know, that's that stereotype uh, image that was uh, accepted in the 40s. You're going to see that image up against images of 2005 and 6 and 7. You're going to see images from Europe and from Asia and so forth. We have a number of writers from uh, those, those different continents submitting work, and I'm very excited about it. Right now, it's what started out as sort of a, a national project with artists living in the United States has become much more global. We're even receiving some comic art from the Africa Comic Exhibit which is literally that, an exhibit of comic book art by African comic artists. Uh, There's a huge exhibit that was at the Studio Museum of Harlem last year around this time, in 2006. And now that art exhibit is moving around, in the meantime, we're being given uh, some images from that for this exhibit. So really a global, wonderful experience to show what's happening and to show people of color represented in comic book art and it's there for the kids to come see it's there for the adults to come see and just to sort of open their minds more to what's possible and what's being done and that exhibit opens when it opens the first wednesday uh in february which i believe is february 6th and it runs through march 12th i believe it is i don't have the exact uh date in front of me but it's the second it, it closes the second week the end of the second week of march and it closes, unfortunately, two weeks before my kids' Comic-Con. But you know, I'm not <laughs> complaining. Uh, we still get to do this. And there's already some talk about the exhibit moving after that to another location. So, And, and I'll be more than happy to tell you about that once I'm, I'm sure of it. And I'm What's hoping to receive some art uh, from Eric, some of the Tarzan art that we use. I'm hoping will be in the ex- uh, exhibition. Okay. One one last question on Tarzan. Then is he going to be around uh, for a, a, a lots of years to come? Would you say is you you called him iconic yourself? So uh, oh uh, well, he is. I mean, there's there's no way to escape that. I, he's not as old as Sherlock Holmes, but he is right there. You know, he's right on the heels of the the great detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think even recently, as in about oh, was it four years ago, three four years ago, there was a uh, an attempt to do a new TV series based on it. Prior to that, there have been two syndicated TV series. This is this is a character that's been around for a long time, and I think someone is always in each generation is going to find some appeal and a desire to do something with him. Um, and and subsequently, like Batman, like Sherlock Holmes, like some of these other characters, you don't want to see him go away. It's just a matter of what can we do with him next? Where can we go next? Certainly, given the opportunity, Eric and I would would you know jump on another project with him. Uh, in, in a heartbeat, as long as it was the right circumstances, as long as we were able to, again, at the end of the day, stand proud against, you know, next to whatever it was that we did. Yeah. Alex, it's been fascinating. Thanks for taking a little time to talk to me. Well, thank you. Hopefully I haven't, I haven't burned your ear off here. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Okay, well, it's a okay. pleasure, Jeff. <laughs> Bill Hillman has posted at Herbzine.com a few of the strips that Alex talked about in today's show. 
I would certainly like to thank Alex for uh, allowing me to uh, have a little chat with him about some issues that I've always wanted to uh, raise on Dateline Jazzoom, and I think he did an admirable job uh, speaking to some of those mm, somewhat sensitive topics for Burroughs fans. This is Elmo from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, signing off. Here's my opportunity to portray this character in a story that I, as a writer, first and foremost, secondly, as the person that I am, and third, as the person of color that I am, Mm-hmm. would be able to stand proud next to, mm-hmm. you know, that I wouldn't feel that I had belittled my people or myself.